absolutely flourishing group of believers there. If you have a chance to travel to D.C. and over the weekend and can worship with them, go encourage our, our brothers and sisters there. It's a beautiful, beautiful work. Um, then last week I was in Tampa, Florida, again preaching at our church plant there. Um, Covenant Life Church, Tampa, another beautiful uh, fellowship, just thriving in the, in the Tampa area. So for years, um, we have given money, we have sent people we love uh, to these places, and having visited there, I just want, you know, it's worth it, okay? It is absolutely worth it. And if you are praying about being a church plant or being part of a church plant or you can live and work somewhere else and you could go to Denver with the team that's headed to Denver later this year or if you want to go out to Portland and help Kevin Lott in Portland, then I'd say go. Leave here and go. It's worth it, okay? It is absolutely worth it. It's a beautiful thing to see in our great cities these kinds of vibrant communities raised up, so... Yeah, fantastic, fantastic thing. But if you'll open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, that's where we'll be most of, of the morning. And I'd like to, again, pray for us, if you don't mind. Bow with me, please. So, Lord, I ask for mercy upon us, that as we open the Scriptures, it would not be ancient lore, but it would be as the very words of God to us. Life itself uh, the map of life to live the life that you have created for us as your people. So give us ears to hear and willing hearts this morning, we pray. Amen. So if you remember, Peter started this letter with stunning declarations of the wonders of the love of God for people like you and me. Um, he started in chapter one saying it was a we were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And you see that this is the salvation that we get um, to live in. It's the work of the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit there. It's according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And it's this great expression of God's mercy. We're born again to a living hope through Jesus' own resurrection. And it brings us this Inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven, guarded by God's own power. In verse 10 of that first chapter, we read that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So mercy has been lavished on us such that we, we belong to God now. We're his people. Um, and amidst all this declaration of the wonder of all this, Peter says that though we have not seen Jesus, we love him. We love him. And so the question for us this morning, and as the rest of the book of First Peter unfolds, is how do we love God back? What shape 
should love take for a God who loves us this much, lavishes this much mercy on people like you and me? So, flowers? Chocolates for God? It's Valentine's Day after all, right? How, how should we love God? What shape should our love for him take? And it seems as we look at 1 Peter, one of the things that's gonna be apparent is the way God wants us to love him back is to pass his love on, to share it with the people that are around it, to make it evident to them by our whole lives the amazing mercy and worth of God. That this brings our God great pleasure is that we would not dam up the love of God at the edge of our property, but we would, we would share it freely and demonstrate it freely. And we heard this both from Noah and from Carson as they led us in first, the early parts of First Peter over the last two weeks. I, I had a chance to listen to both of those sermons. Weren't they great? They were, those were great, great sermons um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, I already have people asking me when I can go out of town next. And so, good news, next week I'll be at Exchange Church in Rollsville, so you'll have another great sermon here next week. Um, invite your friends, okay? But you know, you, you look um, in this second chapter and you see this refrain coming up again and again in Peter's writing, right? Verse nine of chapter two, he says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, we can pass his love on. Just a couple of verses later, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That we would pass on the love of God in such vivid color to people around us that, that when God visits them, they would glorify him. That we'd prime the pump for the good news in that way. And then in our passage today, it's a little bit different perspective, but it still talks about passing it on and influencing others. It says, verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we're to proclaim, we're to live lives that proclaim the excellencies of God to an unbelieving world. They're to see our good deeds and give God glory when he visits them. And, and those who would accuse us ignorantly are silenced by the lives we live. And what does a life like that look like? A life um, that puts God on display. And I, I suppose there are lots of things, right? You could say faith, hope, and love. That would be a good place. Maybe that would be where the Apostle Paul would point us, that those are the marks of a life that puts God on display. But that's not what Peter points to, at least not directly. See if you can pick up in these few verses that I'm gonna put on the screen for you, that see if you can pick up on the mark that Peter highlights is the thing that puts God on display. 
It's the shape that our love for Christ is to take. So in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Down in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. In chapter three, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands. In chapter five, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you pick up on a little pattern there? I underlined it for you. Did you pick up on it? Be subject, right? Over and over and over, he says it. Submission is the mark of in the life of a Christian that Peter is calling us to that puts God on display for a watching world, right? Who knew? Who would have picked that one uh, as the thing? But at this point in in the letter, Peter is going to repeatedly say to us that how we submit to authority affects our usefulness to Christ, our ability to put his love on display to the world, of all things. So we'll look at verses 13 through 17 today of chapter two. Verse 13, it starts that way. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject, submit to, place yourself under, take the low place. It involves the greatest measure of humility to do this. Submission is like that. It always requires that we place ourselves beneath another and give them honor by our obedience, whether that is the government or that is our boss or that is our teacher or that is our coach. And we do that for the Lord's sake. Being subject to authority is how we honor God and put him on display. So how does that work? How does submitting to authority put God on display, honor God and make him known? And the Apostle Paul makes it a little clearer when he writes about the same idea in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. God, in his lordship over all things, has placed authorities over us. In fact, Paul insists every authority that's placed over us. And to resist those authorities is essentially to resist God. So similarly, when we honor those authorities by submitting to them, we honor God because to honor and submit to those authorities is to honor and submit to God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution every human institution. The language there could literally be rendered to every human creature. Um, Peter is really lowering the bar here and then he is saying, get under it. 
It's a game of spiritual limbo, right? How low can you go? Think uh, chubby checkers, not ludicrous, please. Um, With the language that he uses here, you can rightly expand this command to be subject to judges, to bosses, to police officers, to teachers, to coaches, even parents, and yes, even pastors. Um, You get the idea. We are always to take the lowest place, just like Jesus, right? You know the passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant, more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to say there that Jesus did it by his life's example, from incarnation to crucifixion, lowering himself, taking the lowest place. And then he urged it on us by his teaching, Jesus did. In Luke 14, he tells a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor at the meal he was at, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you will both both will come and say to you, um, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we are to humble ourselves and be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. The lowest place is where we are to live if we are to follow Jesus. And it's interesting, both Paul and Peter link this low place, this submitting to authority, this honoring of another, the language is really almost interchangeable. They link that with love. Romans 12, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There's that language again. Peter, later in our letter, is gonna say this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Brotherly love and a humble mind. See, Jesus and Paul and Peter are all calling us to take the low place to submit and to show honor to every human institution for the Lord's sake because in doing so, we honor the Lord who has put that authority in its place over us. And every time we rebel against authority, we're climbing back up to that high place because we've lost sight of the ultimate authority who stands behind all lesser authorities. So for example, 
Peter is saying to us that the reason that you all drive the speed limit, I know you do, you all drive the speed limit. A couple of you may need to use your imaginations here just a little bit. But when you do that, it is not simply to avoid a speeding ticket from the officer who is running the speed trap, but is to honor the God who put him there. Okay? He's behind that authority, Peter says. See, when we willingly submit to the speed limit, we submit to God's delegated authority. When we defy authority and disobey the laws of our land, we've forgotten God is there behind that authority, and we declare him thereby to be unworthy of our obedience to any and all onlookers. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So clearly, Peter is thinking here primarily, first, about government authorities, right? How does that work? How does my submission to human authority enhance God's reputation for it's for the Lord's sake that we do this? And again, it's because our obedience to God's appointed authority declares God's greatness and worth as our ultimate authority. It declares that our God is so worthy of our submission and obedience that we wouldn't even disobey his delegated authority, even if they were unworthy. So again, imagine that you are a really gifted athlete. And it's your senior year in high school. And let's say you run track and field. And you're being recruited by one of the better college coaches in the nation at one of the better, say out in Oregon, where they have a great track program. And they want you, and the head coach has come to Wake Forest, North Carolina to sit in your living room and say, young lady, I want you. Son, I want you to be on my team. And you love this guy. He's awesome, and he wants you. And he gives you a full scholarship, and you want to run for, for this man. And, and you get there, and you find out that um, he's not the only coach on the team, turns out. There are assistant coaches. There are position coaches. And you're a hurdler, and the hurdle coach is really a bit of a jerk. You do not like him. He does not like you. So what are you going to do? Well, you can disobey that assistant coach and thereby dishonor the coach who recruited you and loved you and gave you the scholarship. Or you can obey that assistant coach because you know that he is carrying out the mandates of the head coach. Peter wants us to look beyond human authority, the assistant authority to God himself, whom we love and who calls us to love him back in this way. 
So when he mentions governors here, it's interesting. He says for the emperor and the supreme authority or governors who are supposed to carry out uh, his just, the emperor's just authority. That, um, that could attend that governor idea. It doesn't mean governor like we use it. It could tend all the way down to lower officials like tax collectors. God stands behind tax collectors and asks us to obey them. We are to look beyond the human authority to the ultimate authority, to the Lord Christ himself. Paul picked up on this in Colossians when he wrote these words. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ And the idea is that people will see in our response to human authority glad submission to a far more worthy king. And God is exalted in their eyes. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So let's be really clear because Peter is, this is the will of God for you. Okay. That you should be found doing good so consistently, so visibly, that affects what others are able to say about you. It is his will that we are found amongst the good who deserve to be rewarded, not those whom the authorities deem needful of punishment. And again, this good that we are to do centrally in what Peter is saying has to do with submission, right? I mean, police are much less likely to ticket you if you're in submission to the law, right? We as Christ followers are to have the reputation of being amongst those who are subject to the authorities that God has placed over us so that we silence ignorant and foolish remarks about us and about Christ followers in general. If they accuse us, they have nothing to say. Our reputation is that we submit to the authorities. We are law-abiding citizens by reputation, not like Gerard Butler in that movie. That's the opposite of what we're talking about, right? And of course, as soon as we read this passage, you're thinking, but what about? But what about? And you've already, maybe have specific instances where you've been treated unjustly by authorities or authorities have sought to compel you to do something immoral. Here's the thing. Peter doesn't even address that. He doesn't even bring it up. And I think it's because he doesn't want us to get sidetracked. He knows our minds are going to run to the but whatabouts. Peter doesn't say. So I'll only say, yes, there are conflicts. And there are times when evil human authority conflicts with a holy God. In fact, there's an incident where um, that was the case involving Peter himself. In Acts chapter five, we read about it. It says, when they had brought them, 
They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, questioned the apostles, that is, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So, so there are exceptions, but understand that what Peter's saying is very different than not liking a law and not obeying it. So for instance, you think it's a dumb law that you have to get a permit just to add a porch onto your house, just to build a shed in your backyard. You have to get a permit. That's a dumb law. I'm not doing that because it's dumb. I've never said that. You can tell, by the way, that I, it's a new thought to me. I'm just channeling my inner you, okay? That's what I'm doing at this moment. Um, But this is not what Peter says in Acts 5. He does not say, we must do what we want or even what we think is best rather than what you tell us to do. No, he's saying we must obey God rather than men. And it's only at that point in the conflict, really, where we have something exceptional not permitting porches or sheds or such. And so here we see that it is God's will that we obey the authorities he has placed over us. This ought to be our normal relationship to authority of most any shape and size. We are eager to submit because God, our God, who loves us so and whom we love back stands behind it and he has asked this of us. And that is reason enough for us. And as we do good, including obeying authorities, he says we will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Noah talked about it last week. He said, During this time, Christianity was the new kid at school when it came to the religious world. They didn't have temples. They're a weird mix of Hebrew and Greek. They worshiped in homes. They ate their teacher's body and drank his blood. They weren't obeying all the laws the Jews were prescribing, but they also weren't doing all the things their Greek neighbors were doing. You can see, he said, how they were being slandered and misunderstood. And we can suffer the same types of slander and misrepresentation. Pro-life people hate women. Pro-Bible people are unintellectual. Jesus-only people are narrow-minded. And we could go on and on. When we humble ourselves and obey, then they see more of the humility of Jesus and less of us and our pride. There's an author named Aaron Cariati, and he writes that of all the amazing features of medieval cathedrals, one feature stands out as very strange to the modern mind. We have no idea who designed and built them. The architects and builders did not bother to sign their names on the cornerstones. People today might ask, why build the Cathedral of Notre Dame de Chartres? if you can't take credit for it. No lasting fame. No immortalized human glory. He says, we're perplexed by the humility of these forgotten artists who labored in obscurity. Do and disappear? This is not how we roll in the America of the 21st century. 
But that is how Peter calls us to roll. In submission to those placed over us by God, humbly taking the lower place, like Jesus, who said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So in 1 Peter, it's interesting, it's those Peter is, is walking through a house and he's got instructions for everybody. So a little later in chapter two, he's got instructions for slaves. In chapter three, he's got instructions for wives and husbands. In chapter five, he's got instructions for elders and youngsters. And um, They called these kinds of things household codes. Um, they were common in the writing of the day. And so in this section, he's talking about those who are free. Um, could be free from sin, as in followers of Jesus, but I think he may just mean they're free. They're not slaves, like the next group of people whom he's gonna talk about. And Peter urges them and us as free people not to use that freedom as a cloak for evil. He says, don't think I don't have to submit to this. This is America, land of the free. And I have had enough government interference and red tape and overtaxation. I'm going to opt out and do my own thing. So we rebel against authority because we don't like it. So we don't report the income from that side job because we pay enough taxes already, doggone it. And with that simple decision, we move from the category that Peter urges us to be in of praiseworthy citizens to the category of punishable citizens. And the reputation of our God suffers along with us because he is no longer Lord, we are. Instead, Peter writes, we are to be servants of God. It's interesting. He's writing to people who are free, and he says, be servants, be slaves. And the language of humility is back again. Even though we are free and slave to no man, we are choosing to be God's slaves. We will honor and serve him that is how worthy he is. He will, we will yield our freedom to become his servants as we obey the authorities that he has placed over us. I think every single commentary I read had this quote in it, so I feel obligated to share it with you this morning. It's from Martin Luther. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Because, <clears throat> because we are servants of God, because we love him so. So he closes with this thought, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, 
Honor the emperor, he says for the second time. It's a little summary list of four commands. They all use language that reflects, that reflects the idea of submission and humility. Um, it's the language of preferring others, of taking the low place, honor, love, fear. And so I'd like to use this closing set of four commands and just self-assess a little this morning, honestly, about how we're doing about honoring this clear instruction from God. So, first up, honor everyone. Is there anyone that you are dishonoring? Maybe a subordinate where you work? What would the custodian where you work or at your school say about how you treat them? What about someone who doesn't speak English well? Someone who's from another culture from you. When you cross their path, do they feel honored by you? I had this wonderful experience in Washington, D.C., um, so I'm from Youngsville, right? So navigating Washington, D.C. is like going to another planet. Um, I'm, the idea of parking in Washington, D.C. is like Mission Impossible, right? But so I've, I've, we're going down to the Bible Museum, and we find a parking garage that's a block away from the Bible Museum. I'm like, yes, God, thank you. And so we go down there, and I... And I pull up beside the curb and I get out and it's uh, valet parking. We don't have that in Youngsville. Um, <laughs> and this guy comes out and uh, it's, it's fascinating. He, he takes pictures of every side of my um, high-end 12-year-old Prius. And, and that way I don't have any recourse right for damage. And as he's talking to me, it's evident that he's from another country. So I say to him, I said, where is your home? Where are you from? And I could tell that he looks at me like this could, go one, this could go really badly. I mean, honestly, there's trepidation on his face. And he says, uh, in, in his kind of heavily accented English, that he's from Ethiopia. And I said, that's fantastic. My daughter spent a summer in Ethiopia. She loved it. She was an Otis. And his countenance transformed um, and I hope he felt honored. This is someone who's new to my country, probably. I hope he felt honored by that little conversation. Is there anyone that you dishonor? So second question, um, he says... Um, Second command, really, love the brotherhood. Do you love the brotherhood? It's not like some secret Masonic group. This is Peter's language for the church, okay? He's talking about us. And we've already seen that submission is paired with love, so it shouldn't be a surprise that he asks us here to love the brotherhood, to love the believers, to love the church. And so I just wonder, do you, do you love and serve the church well? Man, so many of you do. 
But uh, Jake Mason ran some interesting stats past our elders recently um, about our study serve thing we do here where half the church goes to a class and studies and half the church serves largely in our children's ministry because you have lots of kids. Um, and 33% of our church have not set foot in a life change class in the last two years. And if you, and he, he looked and he said, if you, if you bump it up to those who've attended less than 20% of the classes that are offered, <clears throat> that jumps up to 52% of our church have, have been 20% or less in the classes that are offered here. Um, and then on the serve side, Jake said that um, 24% of our members, of our members, not, not our guests, but our members, have not served in any capacity that, that he could find out on Sunday morning in two years. In two years. Which is longer than a pastor sabbatical, by the way. Two years. Two years. Um, and he said that Stephanie Jackson is reporting many Sundays a 50% call-out rate of people who don't come to fulfill their responsibilities to teach our children. 50% are calling in with maybe it's sickness or maybe they're just tired. 50%. Um, so imagine with me that you have teenagers in your home and you listen to this message today and you decide, we're gonna be a two-service family. We're gonna do that study-serve thing. We're gonna get up early and we're going. And you lay down the law and shockingly, they whine about this. They whine to you. <laughs> they whine and they say, why do you have to get up so early and go to two services? What? I wonder, could you see yourself saying to, to your kids, could you imagine these words coming out of your mouth? We're doing this because our elders recommend it to us for our good. And we are training our hearts to submit to their leadership because God has placed them over us for our good. Could you, could you hear those words coming out of your mouth? Is that, or would your kids go like, who is this? Who is this man? Right? Do you love the church and serve her well? Third little command he gives us, do you fear God? Do you, do you submit to God's authority? Do you fear his displeasure on your life as a result of your sin? Specifically, in light of what we're talking about today, your disobedience to the authorities he's placed over you. Does it trouble you that God might not be pleased with the corners you're cutting? Does the idea that something as seemingly silly as disobeying traffic laws or bending tax laws or being a generally rebellious soul that you are dishonoring God, does that give you pause? Make you want to rethink your strategy? Does it grieve you that you would hinder his reputation where you work or live because you are not willing to submit to your boss or your teacher or your coach? Do you fear his discipline for it? Because he disciplines those he loves. There's a fascinating story about a guy named Ahedur. He is a 
taxi cab driver at, in Los Angeles. He works the airport route. And uh, the article says he didn't give much thought to the zippered pouch that a passenger forgot in his taxi cab. Um, so he stashed the brown bag in the front where it remained as he took his cab to the car wash, drove a passenger to Long Beach, met a fellow cabbie for lunch. And as he walked off to the restroom, Hader asked his friend to check the bag for identification. And inside, packed in clear plastic cases, were about 100 diamonds, together worth about $350,000. And also inside was a cell phone bill. Now, Hader is 40 years old. He's a father of two. He has a pregnant wife. He called the number on the cell phone bill and he talked to the man. Eric Austin, and he had not yet departed for New York, and they arranged to meet at the airport police station, and police inventoried the diamonds, confirmed Austin's identity. Austin took the gems, hugged Hader, I bet it was a big old hug, and promised him a reward. And Hader said that keeping the loot never entered his mind, even though his wife loves diamonds. <laughs> this is what he said. God is up there. He always watches. See, there is always authority behind the authority. And that ultimate authority is the God who loves you. Do you fear God? There's yet another one, a fourth one. Honor the emperor. And this one's easy. Don't have an emperor. <laughs> got this one, right? No emperors. Check. Um, but if we can make the leap from emperor to president, do you honor our president? Some of you are saying, yep, got my MAGA hat right out in the car. I'm good. Well, for those of you who are in that place, did you honor the last president? No, it's tempting for us to think, but Peter, Peter did not have to put up with Trump or Obama, you know? No, he didn't. He had to be subject to Nero. At least that's one of the possible emperors that he was subject to. And it's interesting, in the summer of 64 AD, Rome suffered a terrible fire, burned for six days and seven nights, consumed almost three quarters of the city. People accused the Emperor Nero of the devastation, claiming he set the fire for his own amusement. And word is that in order to deflect these accusations and placate the people, Nero laid blame for the fire on the Christians. And the Emperor ordered the arrest of a few members of the sect. Um, and accused the entire Christian populace became implemented, implemented as a result of that. It became fair big game for retribution. Tacitus is a historian who was a young boy at the time. And his eyewitness account says, in their very deaths, the Christians were made the subjects of sport. They were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs. or nailed to crosses, or set fire to, and when the day waned, burned to serve for the evening lights. See, it is 
It's widely held that Nero was also responsible for Peter's own death by crucifixion. You know, it's sobering to remember the setting that was on the horizon awaiting the church as Peter wrote these instructions. So, do you honor the emperor in the way you speak of him? Not that you can't disagree with him or lament things that he is or does, but do you honor him? The act of submission to authority and thereby of obedience to the will of, is, is an act of obedience to the will of God for us, and it's one crucial way that we love our God back. God who loved us so much that according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this submission to authority is how we declare his worth to a watching world so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I don't know about you, but I have, some, I have some rethinking to do about the way I'm doing some things with respect to authority. And there's a good chance some of you do too. So why don't we close our time um, together. I'll let the worship team come up and just bow in prayer with me. Let's walk back through those four commands again together in prayer. And I want you to be very mindful what God might be saying to you with the predetermination that, that you will do whatever your God asks of you, no matter what it costs you, because you love him so. Bow with me, please. So Lord, have mercy upon us now and the disorder of our souls and our pride that exalts us above authority that seems unreasonable or foolish to us. And we forget about you. They're behind them all, Paul says, Behind every authority, you lurk. And you call us to honor everyone. Lord, bring to our minds anyone we dishonor in our pride. 